Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Today, we are going to continue to our, in our second week of a series we call Focus from the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. And uh, just to remind you, in, in fact, why don't you go ahead and turn to Colossians 1, 15 through 22. Colossians 1, 15 through 22 is our text. And, uh, and just to remind you, what, what I, the reason we're calling this focus is we're going to choose to focus on Jesus Christ like never before. He is the focus of the book of Colossians, the entire Bible actually, and the focus of uh, everything that is and was and is to come, if you believe. And, uh, but we're also going to work on our, our own level of focus in our lives, where we're going to choose to get more focused, more on task more on purpose with our lives. I love that last song that we learned today because it talks about, I believe, what God really wants to do in and through us as a church, as Praise Center Family Church. So, so, uh, so continue to work on, you know, and, and that, the, the, if we focus on Jesus, we're intensifying our worship. If we focus on what we need to do in our lives, uh, we're intensifying areas of prayer and our devotional life. And along those lines, in our, on our Sunday nights when we're getting into define, I'm just going to be real with you. I heard some people weren't doing their homework. And, and that's just not okay, okay? So pick it back up. If you've stopped, uh, don't, don't feel like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, you know, two weeks behind. Why not just at least start today after church and then stay caught up the rest of the way? But let's stay after it. Do your homework. Eight weeks total, so only two, two are already gone. So it's just six weeks. And it, it doesn't hurt us at all to get into it, get focused in our lives. Are you with me on that? Okay, all right. So today, our text is going to cover verses 15 through 22 of chapter 1. And I want to remind you that Paul is writing to confront an error in, in, the, in this early church uh, city uh, of Colossae that, that, we, that is called uh, Gnosticism. And uh, this, this weird doctrine that they've come up with is starting to infiltrate the church. Again, the Gnostics are people who taught that, or, or excuse me, were, thought that they were smarter than anyone else in the room. They thought, we're, we have this enlightenment that nobody else really gets. We're, and whenever people start talking like that, it's time to just kind of walk away and say, nah, you really don't. <laughs> you know, you really don't. But, uh, but they did, and, and then as they melded a whole bunch of different doctrines and ways of thought together, they, they basically came up with this idea that God couldn't come up, in, and I mentioned this last week, but God could not come in contact with physical matter. Therefore, when it came to creating the, even the universe, God couldn't couldn't be the agent by which that happened directly. So they, they made up this doctrine of emanations, they called it, where these like waves, if you will, that went out from God. And, and if the emanations got far enough away, then, then some distant emanation that wasn't direct with God or directly connected or touching God in any way could create the universe. And that's how they thought the universe was started. And then they came to Jesus Christ, and that was a dilemma for them in this Gnostic thinking because they're saying, well, G Jesus... God can't come into contact with, with flesh. He can't come in contact with the physical realm. So therefore, Jesus cannot be uh, truly God or, right? So those don't go together. Or some people thought, yeah, he's truly God. But he, when he manifested on earth, he was only a spirit. Uh, and he was like a, it was like a, a, a manifestation, one of these emanations. But, but in the fact that he, and they, they literally taught that, that so, so this is a sect of the Gnostics, that taught that Jesus, when he walked on earth, did not leave footprints. 
okay? Right? You see, because at some point when you start going down a road of error, you, st you have to start making stuff up, <laughs> you know, to make it all work. And so this is what happens when we, as human beings, try to make God in our image. When we try to figure out God in such a way that we say, hey, this is how God works. Listen, let God be God. <laughs> And we'll, uh, we'll just study and see what he says. And so in our passage today, Paul really goes for the jugular. I mean, he just goes for it of this false teaching. And he will demonstrate that Jesus Christ is supreme. He's God. He came as a man. And he returns to God to be preeminent over all creation. How about that? Sound good? So let's get into our text, Colossians 1.15. And, and I have to say, uh, I don't know of any other passage of scripture this text that we have before us today that that speaks more highly of jesus christ and more profoundly about who he really is so so every line is so fraught with meaning and so much depth that you could literally take this passage i could take this passage and i bet i could preach you know a, a series of 15 to 20 messages if i took it line by line we're going to take a big chunk at once and try to see a big overarching theme to it okay you with me so, uh, you know, it's worth, though, sometimes digging deep and going for some of these gems that are in here. But think about each line. I'm going to read it kind of slow that we can really think these through. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Think that through. Everything that's created was created by Him. Visible things, and we don't tend to think of the other side of that, the invisible as well. There's, and can I just say the invisible realm is, is real, more real than the visible realm. We just don't see it yet. The kingdom of God is in the invisible realm. God Himself is in the invisible realm. What appears to be visible to us now is a, a, a passing shadow. The, our lives are just a vapor, it says. But the truth is that what is invisible is what we're going to enter into, and it will become visible to us at that time. Well, again, see what I'm doing now? I'm already going off on a tangent. Oh, my goodness. This is going to be hard. All right. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Notice those things aren't like... Those are, are positions, and some of those are visible, and some of them, listen, are invisible. Okay. Now, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That's a pretty good job description for Jesus, right? Pretty good, uh, you know, uh, or not job description, but a, uh, what do you call it, uh, when you try to get a job? Resume. That's a good resume for Jesus. Thank you. I needed that word. Okay. Now, the word and shows up in verse 18. And, and see how this sort of parallels those verses that we just read. For We talked about he's the image of the invisible God. But now we're going to get into a section that's going to talk about his relationship to human beings, especially his church. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, notice the word firstborn again, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So much there, so much there. My title today is The Fix is In. 
The fix is in. These words typically have a negative connotation. Uh, if you heard about it in, say, sports or heard it about it in politics, you would think, oh, that means somebody has done something behind the scenes to make an outcome come to pass. And it, it really means, it indicates a process that has been rigged behind the scenes and its outcome will not affect true justice. You think, well, that's a terrible uh, title. No, it's not. Hear me out. In our case, regarding salvation, I mean to say that the outcome has been rigged ahead of time, <laughs> behind the scenes by God, and its outcome will not reflect true justice, because true justice would say that you and I deserve to die for our sins. You hear what I'm saying today? See, out, out, outcome does not reflect true justice, but the fix is in, thank God, praise God, because God showed His amazing grace and mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. The fix is in today, in Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this. Woo, I just feel like we had church already, man. That was, I, I enjoyed reading that, Lord. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for how deep it is and how, how and God, I, I do not believe for one moment that what's going to come out of my mouth is all that needs to be said by far. God, what needs to be said today is what you will speak by your Spirit to every person that's come today. Thank you for those who are with us today. God, we pray again for those who may be sick among us, that you would heal them and set them free from any sickness in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. How, okay, how many people out here are, you're, you're kind of, a, you figure yourself to be kind of a do-it-yourselfer kind of person? You like to do, oh, wow, more than I thought. I, I feel like you know, forgive me, younger people, but I feel like younger people today, when I start talking to them about do-it-yourself, they just roll their eyes back in their head. Like the other day, I'm talking to my son, Andrew, on the phone, and, and he says, yeah, we're, we're thinking about buying a shed for our, they're having a new house built down there in Ellensburg, and, and uh, so they're get, they're, he's looking at buying the shed, and, and, and he says to me over the phone, it's $3,000, and, and, and I'm an old guy. I can't help it. And I sit there and I start going into convulsions thinking about spending $3,000 on something I could physically build for about $800. I'm, I kid you not. I could literally build that thing for, for that or less. And it just makes me crazy when I think about what it costs to go buy. But, and so I suggest to him, I say, son, what do you think if, we, if I was to come down and help you? I'll take some time off. And then the boys could see how to build stuff. And, and I could tell he was off in la-la land like... No, I think I'll just buy the shed, Dad. <laughs> it's cool, you know. So, so I don't know. I'm, I've always been kind of a do-it-yourself, and maybe it's because I'm a cheapskate. It probably is. And so I always figured out, man, I'm going to learn how to do stuff because I don't want to spend the money, right? So, uh, and, and not only that, I like doing things uh, physically with my hands. I really do. I like, I like working on things. I had a friend I met with for lunch the other day, and he said, hey, do you know anything about life fixtures? I said, yes, I can install. I'll come over. And he's like, no, no, no. And I'm saying, yeah, I want to come over. And I'm, I, you're robbing me of a blessing if you don't let me come over and put your light fixtures up for you. So we'll see where that goes. But anyway, so, so and I, I think for the most part, when I do work, I try to do the very best quality I can. But, and here's the thing about doing your own work, especially in your own house, is if there's any error, no matter how small it is, your eyes are drawn to that error. You walk by it every time you go, mm, there's that spot. There's that thing. I, oh, there's that where I bent that nail over. I can still see that hole in the wood there. About, I don't know, was it, it had been almost eight, ten years ago now, we decided to remodel our upstairs bathroom. We may, I thought, hey, let's make this look like you're going to maybe a, a fairly nice hotel resort. We're going to, you know, and we, we did a pretty nice job of it. I mean, it's not like, 
It's not the Taj Mahal, but it was all, we did a good job. It looks nice. So, so um, I do all the plumbing. I do the electrical myself. We put in a fan. There wasn't one before. I don't know who would ever make a bathroom without putting a fan in, but we, we got one. And so uh, on it goes, and, we, and I did, I thought, a good job on it. And then uh, it came uh, to pass after a while. Uh, one day I was sitting in the living room. Rhonda did a load of laundry after the bathroom was all buttoned up and done, and everything looked great. And, and the laundry starts going, and we have two levels, so it's just downstairs. And the water starts going, and it's draining. And then I hear this sound from the downstairs sink, this gurgling sound that it never used to make before. And I thought, well, what is that? That's weird. And then it dawned on me. And, and if you know anything about plumbing, you, you, you would never think that, that this would be that big of a deal. But there's these vent pipes that go all the way to the roof. And I must have cut off... And, and sealed off one of those vent pipes because I turned two sinks into one in the bathroom and somehow I missed the fact that of the connection where it went to the vent pipe. So now every time Rhonda does laundry, I sit there in my chair and go, ah. But, to, but I would have to literally tear that bathroom back apart. So the other day we're looking at this wall that has some other errors on it and I'm, I'm literally going to cut the other wall out <laughs> and I'm going to fix that and then we're going to repair that wall and we're going to redo that wall. That's what we're going to do. But it's been eight years and I just sit there in agony every time she does a little laundry and I'm like, ugh. So, so I just got one more thing to say about fixing things. Did you hear about this guy this week? It was on the, in the news. There's a guy from Wales, um, the, the country, not the fish or the mammal. But anyway... And he was, doing, he was doing a video about how to fix the uh, door on his car. So show this first image. This is the guy. Um, I, I, I think his name's Rob. Doesn't matter. So show the next image and then hold it right there. Okay, so this is his little car. And this we're looking at is the driver's side because they live in, you know, over there in the United Kingdom. And they don't know how to drive properly over there. They're on the wrong side of the road. So... But apparently he needed to fix the passenger side of his car. So he ordered a door in the right color and everything. And as he, and he starts doing this video of him installing the door. And he gets the door completely installed. And then when he shuts the door, he looks and he heard a sound that he thought, that's not right. And when he shut the door, this is what he looked back and saw as the next image. So he had bought... A door that fit that car, but for a four-door model. Right? So, <laughs> now, it's bad enough that he would do that and not notice, right? That's bad enough. But he went ahead and posted the video. <laughs> that guy is a real doofus. I would, hide, I would hide that so fast. That video would never make it to the light of day. So, uh, anyway, you got to wonder. Yeah. So what good is fixing something if you're not going to fix it right, is my point in all that, right? You've got to fix it. If you're going to fix something, fix it right. Fix it right. When it comes to humans, we were off to a really great start. I mean, when we were created perfect by a perfect creator, placed in a perfect garden, on a perfect planet, in a perfect universe. All that was true. It really was. And, and God, God comes along and he says, listen, and I don't know how big the garden was, but God is, God is a God of, of, of much and plenty, isn't he? And so I imagine they had a huge garden. And it said there were many different trees. And, they were, and we were kind of studying this and defined in the last couple weeks. But it said that some of the, the fruit on the trees, and I missed it until I read it in Defined this week. It said, because uh, it, it always said they were good to eat, but I never noticed that it said they were beautiful. 
All the fruit, all the different kinds of fruit were beautiful. I've seen some ugly fruit in my day. Like, anybody know what durian is? Durian fruit? That is ugly on the outside. And I had a guy in the Philippines once tell me it smelled like, and he used a word for dookie that I will not say from my lips. He says it smells like that, but it tastes good. And I'm thinking, that's impossible, right? So durian, it's ugly on the outside. It doesn't smell good. But here's the thing, is God made a perfect garden and a perfect place. He said there's just one tree, one tree that you shouldn't eat from. Only one. So what happens? We humans come along. We broke the garden. We broke the planet, literally. I mean, we really did. We broke the universe. The Bible says that the universe is now groaning under the strain of the sin that we committed in the garden. And I mean we when I say we. Don't, don't try to say, well, that was Adam and Eve. I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. Yeah. Be real. Come on. We do it every day, don't we? Come on, we sin. So, so, so anyway, so we broke the garden. We broke the planet. We literally broke the entire universe. And, and worst of all, we broke our relationship with God. Worst of all. Now, of course, here's the thing. God knew this would happen before it did. And so he planned a fix. He had a fix in mind. It was a perfect fix. Verse 15, the, the first line says, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean what we tend to think it means in this context. It, and in the original language, it means the ruler over things. Okay? Not that Jesus had a beginning. When, and we read the word uh, the firstborn, we think, oh, that means he had a beginning. No, that's not what it's saying. That's not what that Greek word means. But it's an important word because it connects to Old Testament truths. And so that's an important word for Paul to use there. And, and listen, not believing that Jesus is God, that he is divine, is a big problem. Big problem theologically. As is not believing, listen, that he became fully man. Both of those are problems. If you don't believe he's fully God, or you don't believe he became fully man, the perfect God-man, we have an issue at, at some point. And, and that's a, it is. It's theologically, it's a problem. It's a mess. By the way, in our day, there are two uh, groups that call themselves churches that are, that are not of the Lord. I'm just, and I'm just going to say them. You may think, oh, I can't believe you're... You know, I, we, we have to stand for right doctrine. I don't hate anybody. I'm not against anybody. But wrong doctrine will send people to hell. It will. And it's important. So we have to preach right doctrine. And I need to let you know, and the reason I'm willing to talk about this and name names is because you, you think, oh, you know... Uh, so-and-so, they're going to such-and-such such a church. And you go, that's not okay. You've heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You've heard of the Mormons. Both of these groups teach contrary to what I just told you about Jesus Christ. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he is fully divine. In fact, the Mormons teach that Jesus Christ is the spirit brother of Satan. Now, if you talk to the average Mormon, they, they may not know that. As, as you know, you can understand, a lot of people don't know the deep doctrines. But you can dig deep into their books, and you can dig deep into their teachings. You can go read it online and, and, and go to their Mormon websites, because I did to check it out just to make sure I wasn't lying to you. And they literally believe that. Now, the way they word things and couch things, they make things seem like, well, it sounds similar to what we're believing, but it's not. And it's not. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses specifically use this verse right here in Colossians that talks about the firstborn to try to demonstrate that Jesus had a beginning because it says, 
firstborn, and, and so they say, they use the word Jehovah to describe God always, that's why it's in their name, and they say that he is not truly God, he's not truly Jehovah God. He, they call him a God, a small g, but they don't believe he's fully God. So the text goes on to say, though, and if you, if you get, this is the problem, when you take one verse and you don't study it deep and you don't read around it and you don't understand the context of the whole Bible, you can make so many errors. Verse 16 says, for in him, in Christ, all things were created. Who's, who's the creator? Who created the universe? Almighty God, right? <laughs> in the beginning, who? God created. So it's saying Jesus created all things. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers, authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Notice the thoroughness of his creation. It's in him, through him, and for him. If you think Jesus isn't a big deal after reading that verse, those verses, you're missing something huge here. Jesus is a big deal. In John's Gospel, we have a parallel sort of passage. I'll show, we'll show it on the screen here. John 1.1. 1, 1. These are actually three verses, but they're, you read the context and you can see that I'm actually using this in context. It says, In the beginning was the Word, uh, was the Word, let's see, in the beginning was the Word, and I, I, threw, I lost a couple, yeah, sorry. It should read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. It should say that. Okay, I don't know what happened to those words in there. In verse 3, it says, Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Sounds just like Colossians, doesn't it? And then all you have to do is keep reading, because if you stop there, you might think, well, we don't know the word. Who's the word? Well, listen, it makes it really clean in verse, uh, clear in verse 14. The word became flesh. So connect the dots. The word is God. God created all things. The word created all things. And the word also became flesh human right and and live for a while among us who did that jesus okay so we're connecting those dots he's the one the word is god he made all things he became flesh he most certainly is god and he's the same god of the old testament yahweh is just another way to say jehovah they mean the same thing they come from the four letter hebrew word where god revealed himself that it's born out of the where where moses said who shall i say sending me and god responded speaking his name, which is, which is an amazing name, and it came in four letters, Hebrew letters. Nobody knows how it was pronounced because the, the Hebrew people didn't use uh, vowels, they used consonants. And so you had, to, you had to know a Hebrew person speaking to you. Now in modern Hebrew, they've added these other marks that make it more clear. But you could have translated it or transliterated it to say Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the same name. Don't get hung up on it one way or the other. Um, but... Jesus is Jehovah, <laughs> the creator of all things. It's important. So the word firstborn speaks of he is the ruler or the originator of all things that are created. To further state the point, in verse 18, he's later called the firstborn from the dead. This again means that he is the ruler of life, not the first person to ever be resurrected. Do you understand? There were people in the Old Testament that were resurrected from the dead, and Jesus himself raised three different people from the dead before he was raised. So he was not the first person to ever be resurrected, but he's the ruler over or the originator of, over resurrection life. Okay, so that's where that comes from. You may say, well, Pastor Sal, why are you going into so much detail? What's, what's this? Let me remind you that Paul is going after these Gnostics. The, they had infiltrated the church. They said that God could not come in contact with human flesh. That's a problem. 
Why is that a problem? Because if he can't come in contact with me, do I have any hope? Right? This is, what, this is the mystery of the Bible. That, oh man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. Um, I don't know. I just may, buckle down. This might take a while to get out. But no, seriously. Do you understand that when you say yes to Jesus, when you say, Jesus, come into my life, be the Lord of my life, that at that moment that the Holy Spirit, who is also fully and completely God, literally comes inside of human flesh. God comes in contact with the physical realm, in the spirit. You know, a lot of times we say, oh, I invited Jesus in my heart. And there is truth to that because Jesus, the spirit, and the Father are all one, the, the Trinity. But in a, in a technical sense, it's the Holy Spirit who actually comes and dwells inside. So that means that everyone, who were we talking to the other day about the places we've taken the Holy Spirit? Who was that? that were you telling me that story? Who was I talking? Huh? Oh, from Rooted Group. Yeah. Yeah, somebody in the group was, they realized, oh, the Holy Spirit's actually in me. And then somebody in the group said, I can't, oh, I just really feel bad because I think of all the places I've taken the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so that's just incredible, you know? But that's, that's that reality getting into our hearts that, wait, God literally, not only could G God become a man himself and walk this earth, but now God has come in contact with us. Yeah. Oh, okay, help me, Jesus. All right, so... So can I just say to you, if God cannot come into contact with the physical realm, we don't have any hope. We don't. Adam and Eve sinned. Humans broke everything. Only a human could fix it. Only a human could fix it. God, if God could not become human, stick a fork in us because we are done. We are done. Adam broke it. Only the last Adam could fix it. Romans 5.17, watch this. For if by the trespass of the one man, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those, how, oh, come on, how much more, <laughs> the word is so rich, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If he can't become flesh, that's a problem. Because it had to be the restoration of what man broke had to come through a man. There's the first Adam and there's the last Adam. Not the second Adam, but the last Adam. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. This is what I'm saying. We don't have hope unless God can come in the flesh. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All, and it, by all it means all who receive him, who put their trust in him, all who have faith in him. Oh my goodness. In verse 19, our text says, God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Speaking of Christ, He says He's before all things. He's not a, a, a product of creation, but the Creator Himself. Now, now C.S. Lewis, I, I think you all know, and you may have heard this quote many times, but I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Right? Are you getting this? I mean, come on. So it just can't be like, eh, it's okay. The same could be said of Jesus Christ himself. If he is who he says he is, if he is who the Bible says he is, it is of infinite importance to everyone. He's the only one who can truly fix what's wrong with us. 
Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. That's the words of Jesus. Coming to the Father means being saved and going to heaven someday. Either, either, listen, either we believe that Jesus Christ is telling the truth and receive Him as Savior, or we don't believe and reject the life that He offers. One or the other. But don't tell me He was just a good man or a good teacher. Someone who's just a good man or a good teacher would not say they were the only way to the Father unless they're telling the truth. So don't, don't give me any of this, oh, you know, He's just a good teacher, He's a prophet or whatever. No, that, none of that flies. It's either of no importance or it's of infinite importance. Here, again, is Christ's resume, His qualifications to fix the world uh, on the screen. All things were created by Christ. He's before all things. He holds all things together. In everything, He has the supremacy. All God's fullness dwells in Him. He reconciles all things. He reconciles all I want to finish up and land this plane, which is going to take me a while, but hang in there. But I want to finish with that last thought that he, he reconciles things. Let me read the last two verses of our text, which I didn't read yet. I, I didn't get that far. I stopped at verse uh, 20. Verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I don't know how that hits you. I don't know if you like the sound of that. Whether you like it or not doesn't really matter. That's what we were. When we sinned, we were, became enemies of God. But there's this wonderful word, but is the word in verse 22. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. See, that's why it's important. So his physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It is this that connects the dots between our study of the deity of Christ and the, the, the practical question, how does, what is, how does this apply to me? What is, it, what is the deal? Here's the thing. If we believe in Him that He can reconcile all things, and let me, let me just say this. The word reconcile in the Greek language means to fully or completely reconcile. This particular, there's two different words for reconcile. There's just a standard kind of reconcile, but this one has an, a, a prefix on it that adds weight to it that says, no, this means it will fully or completely reconcile. And it, it, means, uh, it's, it's, it means to set up a relationship of peace not existing before. Let me say that again. Reconcile means to set up a relationship of peace that did not exist before. We were the enemies of God, and He came along and He says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to fix that. And I'm going to create a, a, an avenue of peace where we can be in relationship with each other that didn't exist before. It means it's the re restoration of a relationship of peace that had been disturbed. It is the fix. It is the fix. What did he reconcile? First and of utmost importance, he reconciled us to God. What does it matter if, if we lose everything in this life? What if we, you know, and Jesus himself said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? And if you don't know Jesus today, or if you've wandered in the faith and you're away from him, listen, you can have all the things that you can have a good job, you can have riches, you can have relationship, you can have all the great things that, that he left on planet earth for us to enjoy. Isn't he a good God? But listen, you will lose your soul and you've lost everything. And, and listen, there might not even be a person in this room that fits that category. I don't know. But can we just stop for a moment and think about people we know that we know people like that? That's why this is so important for us to get and be reassured of and be assured of in our hearts so that we can share it with others. In Romans 6, uh, 5, uh, 
there's a whole section there, but Paul essentially is saying that before reconciliation, we were powerless, ungodly, sinners, enemies, and under God's wrath. Not a good place to be. We were broken. But because of reconciliation, we have become new creatures. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know this well, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? The fix is in. The fix is in, church. We didn't deserve it, but he fixed it anyway. If justice was to be served, we deserve to die for our sins. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Hallelujah. Thank God that Jesus became our justification and our reconciliation in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on back up. Again, I asked the question, why is all this important? Why? We all wonder, why didn't God just create us like angels? How many, now, I bet every hand's going to go up. We've all thought this, because once we've sinned, we realize, once we became a Christian and then we sinned, we realize, I don't like this anymore. I, I used to like sin, it used to be fun, but it's not fun anymore. And I know there's a penalty for sin, and I don't want to sin anymore. God, just make me like one of the angels where I have no choice. Right? We've all thought that. Come on, let's be real. You know, if I could, if I could sign on the dotted line and say, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't care if I have another choice the rest of my life, Lord. I just want to be done with it. Why did he give us the option to sin? Have you asked that? Have you wondered? Why, why even put the tree in the garden to begin with? Am I right? Again, was God surprised that, that we blew it? Not at all. He had already made plans for it. <laughs> Re- repeatedly in the Bible, we read that Christ, and in these t- contexts, he's usually called the Lamb of God, referencing his sacrifice. He was sacrificed before the world was even created. We're hung up on time. We think of it as very linear. God saw outside of time. He stands out and sees the vastness of everything all at once. And in his mind and in his heart, before time even began, before the worlds were even created, a decision was made in God's heart that said, I'm going to die for this race I'm going to create. I'm going to die for this race that I'm going to create. Was he surprised by the fact we blew it? Not at all. Christ coming to earth as a man, his suffering, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Listen carefully. And I've said it many times. I'll say it again. It's not plan B. It's not, it's not like, like uh, you know, Adam and Eve sin and then God slaps his forehead and turns to the angels. What are we going to do now, angels? Do you understand? He's not surprised by anything. It didn't, it didn't shock him. It didn't, he, he, you know, him asking Adam later, where are you, did not indicate a lack of information. But he's trying to draw out of Adam. Do you realize what you've done? Do you know where you are spiritually, Adam? Do you know what you've done in this moment? Adam didn't get it, but he, does, he did later. It wasn't plan B. All of this was from the heart of God from the beginning. This is the only way God could give the ability to choose to humans. Not that we would choose sin and rebellion. That wasn't what he wanted for us. But that we would choose to repent and to love God. So that... One day, we could become like Him. This is where it starts to all gel together. Why, why is this important? Is it really important that God became a man? Indeed it is. And listen to this. Because if Christ did not share in our humanity, then we would never be able to share in His divinity. Let me say that again. If Christ did not share in our humanity, then we would... See, I'm losing you. 
stay with me, then we would never be able to share in His divinity. Nah, I don't think you're getting it. If, listen, if Christ did not share our humanity, we would never have a chance to be dwelt in and become like and live eternally like God does. Are the wheels starting to churn a little now? Are you seeing what I'm talking about? We, it, it becomes so profound. Listen, I've said this before. Eternal life started the day you accepted Jesus. But do you understand when we transfer fr uh, from, from breathing on this planet and we move into eternity, not only, not only do we get to enjoy heaven and God forever, but something of God's nature is eternally present in every single one of us for all eternity. It, it, nah, I'm still not saying it. One time the Pharisees got onto Jesus and they said, listen, he says, I and the Father are one. They pick up stones, they're going to throw them at him and say, they're going to kill him. He says, what? well, for which one of my deeds, which one of my miracles are you stoning me today? He says, not because of that. You said you were equal to God. And he said, haven't you read? He quotes David in the Psalms. He says, you are all God's. What is he referring to? He's referring to us in the future. Now listen, it's a small g. We had a beginning. But the nature of God is now in us. And we are going to share God's divinity for all eternity. This is mind-blowing to me. This is amazing. This is incredible. And this could not happen unless Christ did what He did. He is over all creation, before all time, head of the church and holds all things together. And trust me when I tell you today, if Jesus can hold the universe together, He can hold your life together too. Right? He fixed what was broke in the garden. And He can certainly fix what is broken in your life and my life. He can fix broken marriages. He can fix broken families. He can fix broken finances today. He can fix broken bodies in Jesus' name. He can fix broken hopes and dreams. He can fix all things because He's the fixer. In Jesus' name, let's stand together. Aren't you glad He fixed you? Woo! He fixed everything. Praise God, the fix is in. Let's glorify Jesus. Let's glorify Him. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.